It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is on campus today in Knoxville, Tennessee at the University of Tennessee with the volunteer football team. And this is a live studio audience. How about that love? How about that orange love? Gentlemen, thank you so much for the warm welcome here at the University of Tennessee with the football team, the volunteers. Our guest is Kurt Majet. Hi, Kurt. How are you? Doing good. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Tell me real quick about uh, your status with the team. I'm a junior, upcoming senior um, for the University of Tennessee. Play outside linebacker um, from Riviera Beach, Florida, and proud to be a Vol. Proud to be a Vol. And you've been volunteered by your coaching staff to represent the volunteers and talk about your team's community service. So uh, we love hearing about uh, young people's work in their communities. And uh, now you get to brag about the volunteers and their work here in the Knoxville area. Yeah, we do all sorts of different types of um, community service. This past Sunday, we went out and um, volunteered with the Polar Plunge. It's an um, event held for special needs kids. And it's freezing water, but we all got together as a team and jumped in with um, special needs kids and a lot of people from different um, other sports or whatnot. So it was, it was a lot of fun to just go out there and support. Did everybody jump in that freezing water? About um, 65% of the guys that came, but it was, it was, a, good, it was a good amount of guys that jumped in. Now, uh, I'm not suggesting you do this, but is there a retaliation for the 35% of the team that didn't jump in to the cold water? Maybe uh, <laughs> cut the hot water pipe in the shower next time they take a shower? I don't know. No, not really, because uh, if you look, we got a lot of football players. A lot of guys can't <laughs> swim. So <laughs> it, it was good. It was a lot of fun. I didn't think of that. I just think I don't want to jump in the cold water. Some of these guys are thinking, I can't swim. Okay. So, yeah, we've heard about the Polar Plunge Coast to Coast. It's a great charity to help special needs kids. If you have a Polar Plunge in your area, we encourage you. Uh, to check it out. And uh, Kurt, can't thank you enough for, for your work here in the Knoxville area and for representing the volunteers, one in which the best of luck. Let's have another round of applause for all the volunteers here at the University of Tennessee. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. And the broadcast continues. It's the Adam Ritz Show. We thank you so much for tuning in. And our guest now is Jerry Pastore. Jerry, how are you? Excellent. Thanks for being here, Adam. Appreciate it. I, uh, I like your last name because it's, I, I put a little uh, extra emphasis there on the third syllable of Pastore because it's, what do we have here? Is it French, obviously? It's uh, Italian. Oh, and, obviously it's not French. And it's not, <laughs> and it's not very glamorous because the Italian word that it's based on is one for shepherd, pastor. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you're glamorous to me. Uh, Jerry is, uh, well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me out here in uh, what I'll call God's country. It's just beautiful out here. I'm on the campus of Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. Uh, for those of you that don't know the uh, the West Coast very well or the, the western part of the United States, in the state of Washington, we're about five hours away from Seattle, and, and I'm going to guess uh, within an hour's drive of Idaho. How close to Idaho are we? We're actually eight miles from Idaho. Oh. So 15-minute drive. We're 15 minutes from Idaho. Yeah, right, correct. I can't, I can't wait to call my mom and tell her I was 15 minutes from Idaho. <laughs> Play your cards right, I might take you there. <laughs> well, Jerry is uh, the director of student 
well-being. Did I get that right? right. Student-athlete well-being within the athletic department, the Cougars, here at Washington State University in the Pac-12. Tell us about what you do as the director of student well-being, student-athlete well-being. Well, Washington State University has really made a commitment to the student-athletes, as, as many universities have, in that we're really looking at the whole person uh, when uh, we have our athletes here, our student-athletes. And we recognize that uh, student-athletes have a particular challenge that maybe the general population of uh, a university may not have, uh, certainly uh, with pressures, time constraints, uh, uh, you know, rigorous workout schedules, what have you. And therefore, um, they may have, you know, obviously dealing with maybe a higher, well, research shows they're dealing with a, a much higher level of stress just day-to-day. -day. A lot of that is kind of self-imposed because they're obviously very competitive people. Um, so we really try to incorporate um, in our programming here with athletics um, messages and health messages about how they can uh, better take care of themselves and make safe choices out there uh, also uh, in, in the uh, social world. Now, I was, I was eavesdropping earlier, and I, uh, I'm not afraid to admit to you that I was, and I think I heard you talking about the, are there four aspects or four pillars uh, of your program here for uh, student-athletes? I hate to put you on the spot. What are those four? We're looking at, um, we look at their intellectual, obviously, well-being. We look at their uh, physical well-being, uh, their intellectual well-being, and their social well-being. So obviously here at Student Services, we have uh, many facets to it. You know, academics, we support their uh, academic growth and progress uh, intellectually. Um, certainly their physical well-being, we have a, a, just a top-notch uh, student, uh, rather uh, athletic uh, training program. Um, and in terms of uh, the, uh, the big challenge, I think, for our student-athletes is, is, uh, is being safe and healthy out in the social scene uh, that is, I, th I think, uh, pretty general across many universities. Jerry Pastore is our guest. He's the Director of Student-Athlete Wellbeing at Washington State University, 30-plus uh, years in the business of um, counseling. And uh, you mentioned out of those four pillars, social uh, and just social interaction um, here on campus. And I wanted to ask you, um, there's a news story out about uh, marijuana becoming uh, legal or more legal or, or more acceptable in the state of Washington. How does that change your job or your focus? Well, it, it doesn't help in terms of our messaging, let's say that. Washington's a very liberal state, uh, especially on the west side. Um, but my message really does not change. Um, I don't approach marijuana use uh, with our student-athletes as a uh, moral issue. Um, it is obviously a legal issue at some level. But I really target how it may affect their academic and uh, athletic performance, which, based on the psychoactive substance, THC, that's, that is in uh, marijuana, it has very uh, deleterious effects on, on both of those. Let's have some fun now. Jerry Pastore uh, here at Washington State University, you were telling me off mic earlier that this was quarterback you for a while with uh, Mark Rippon and uh, Drew Bledsoe and uh, Ryan Leaf came here. Uh, you were here during the Bled Drew Bledsoe years. Uh, best in-game memory of Drew Bledsoe, uh, maybe a big comeback victory or, or on the field here at Washington State University. Well, I'll tell you, one a lasting memory here is we were playing our rival, University of Washington. And as any other university, it's a, it's a, it's a very healthy rival, let's say that. And uh, It's the Apple, the Apple Cup? The Apple Cup, yeah. right. So okay. we play the Apple Cup uh, one year in Seattle and one year here in Pullman. Uh, well, it's played in the end of November, and uh, 
as, as chances had it at this particular time, uh, we had a major snowstorm, much to the chagrin of the Washington Huskies. Um, and we had a very competitive game, and uh, there was a last, I think it was in the last minute, uh, Drew Pledsoe dropped back and made a pass, and um, one of our uh, speedy ends, uh, Philip Bobo, if I remember, made a tremendous catch and caught it in the end zone, totally extended himself, caught the ball, and slid directly into a snowbank. <laughs> and at that point, the team just surrounded me. They're, they're, we actually have a lot of photos of that because it was such a dramatic victory in such a dramatic setting uh, that it's, it really is emblazoned in, in Cougar history. That is fantastic. And then uh, something just popped in my head. From my, um, I guess, covering the news on this radio program, there were some recent news stories about high school programs that uh, the school board voted down the team mascot or the school mascot being a cougar because of, I guess, the derogatory, um, it's a double meeting. In today's society, a cougar means something besides a, a, a feline uh, mammal. Um, how, to me, that is so ridiculous. To you, you're a cougar. You're a Washington State University cougar. When you hear this story about a high school voting down naming their, their team the Cougars because of the double meaning of the word Cougar, what, what is your take on this? Uh, people probably need to stop watching reality TV is my first response to that. <laughs> However, here at Washington State, you know, I've never even, that's never even crossed my mind or anyone here. We have such a deep tradition here um, of our, our mascot is called Butch. Um, and we actually had live cougars. We had, I think, seven live cougars before, you know, culture changed and said, hey, maybe it's not such a great idea to have a cougar in a cage. Um, but our cougar, also Butch, our, our mascot in a costume, has actually won the Capital One Cougar, uh, Capital One College Mascot of the Year Award a okay. few years ago. So I think sometimes people are just pole vaulting over a one-inch bar sometimes when yeah. you really, I mean, it's just, it's, to me, it's, it's such a, a kind of a bizarre kind of way to think about things. But, uh, you know, I understand everyone has uh, liability issues these days. Pole vaulting over a one-inch bar. I'm using that one. Thank you so much. Um, and, yeah, that story I, I mentioned happened in Utah. Okay, BYU is in Utah. The BYU Cougars, one of the uh, traditionally most strict religious programs in, in America, uh, in the high school in Utah, voted down becoming the Cougars because of the double meaning. And, and and that institution, BYU, is right down the road. I, it just blows my mind. PC is taking over. All right, well, Jerry, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck here at Washington State University. I can't thank you enough for joining this broadcast. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being here. Honestly, um, uh, you, a tremendous resource. And let me just say, I'm going to put this plug in. If anyone has not had Adam uh, at their university, I highly recommend it. Connects with uh, our students, connects with coaches, staff, um, truly, and I really appreciate what you're doing because what you're doing is really needed. The Adam Ritz Show, a reality show for your radio. We're on the campus of the University of Toledo with head football coach Matt Campbell, the Toledo Rocket football squad. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the program. No, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, I won't focus on your age because I know everybody does, although now that I've brought it up, we have to talk about it, so I guess uh, I apologize right off the bat. One of the youngest Division I college football coaches in America. You're 33 years old. Um, is that a, a challenge? Uh, I see it as, a, as an asset. It probably helps recruiting in a huge way. I mean, how's that working out for you? 
Well, you know, I, I, when I got the job here and, and one of the things that everybody asked was about my age and, and I said at my initial press conference that age is just a number and really I think when you look at this whole thing it's about the experience that you have leaving, leading up to the opportunity that you, that you have here and you know this is such a great place to start your career as a head football coach, the tradition of Toledo football and, and the great people that I've been fortunate to be around in my career leading up this way, you know I certainly see it as an asset and you know I, I, I never even think about the age, I think about the opportunity at hand and really try to do the best at the job that I'm doing presently to give me the best opportunity for not only myself but our staff and our kids to be you know to reach reach their full potential and be as successful as they can be I'm 10 years older than you and I think to when I was 10 years old and you were zero I knew so much more about football than you did and now here we are uh, 43 or 33 years later, and you're a head football coach in Division One college football. So congratulations. Uh, I want to talk to you about um, something I saw in your team meeting room. You've got a huge board on the wall. It's entitled Building Champions with a, I'd say it's like a pyramid of bricks with words like and topics like attitude, loyalty, character, humility, accountability, consistency, focus, faith, uh, family. Tell us more about this board. Who came up with it? Um, and how do you, I guess, implement this with your over 100 players on the Toledo Rocket football team? Well, you know, this pyramid of success is probably a little bit copied off of what Coach Wooden had done, you know, in his program not so long ago. And when I took over the job, you know, the prior coaching staff here, there was a lot of catchphrases, a lot of cliche, but nothing that ever went back to directly, what does our program stand for? Who do we want to be? And at the end of the day, what are we trying to build both on and off the football field? And, you know, we research that we have here what's called a leadership council, which is made up from senior to freshman on our football team that's voted on by our football players. And it's consisted of 12 players at a time that that are voted onto this board. And, you know, at that time, when I took the job over, I took these young men who are our leaders in our football program that got voted onto this council, and we sat down and I said, what do we want to stand for? And what's this program going to look like? Not now, but what, what do we want to be known for 10, 12, you know, 15 years down the road? And so we kind of, taking my lead and some of these young men's lead, we, we came up with a kind of a, a pillar of what we wanted our program to stand for. And I think if you look at the pyramid, at the at the foundation of it, the cornerstones are our prideful work ethic and attitude. And, you know, the bottom two levels really consist of two areas that it takes no talent to have. You don't have to be a great player to have any of these things. But mm-hmm. for us to be a great football team, these this foundation has to be built. And we have to stand for this both on and off the football field if we ever want to continue to go up the pyramid. And on the top of the pyramid at the end of it is, is the word legacy and you know every year no matter what we did good or bad at the end of each year we start over and that team begins to define its legacy what it wants to stand for who it wants to be and what it'll be remembered as and you know it's something that we kind of start every meeting off with we go back to during the heart of the season we talk about these words and are we obtaining these foundational levels for our program to be successful and it's it's kind of become the foundation of who we are both on and off the football field and, and you know I think if anybody knows me or, or our football program they know that our program stands for doing the right thing 
both on and off the field. And I, I'm really proud of our football team. Last year, we, we set a school record. We had a 3.0 GPA for the first time ever in school history with oh, wow. over a 105, with 105 kids on our football team. And ironically, I think you, you saw what we did last year on the football field. We won eight football games for the first time in this program's history since 1971. You know, we were ranked in the top 25 throughout the year and some great things. But I, it's building a, a young man that stands for the right thing both on and off the football field. I'm really proud of that. Well, you're doing something right. If you've just had the most wins and uh, the highest GPA, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Now, Matt Campbell is our guest, the head coach of Toledo Rockets football. You're a tall guy. Uh, where did you play? Well, I played at Mount Union, uh, Division Three school, and, and played defensive end there. And, okay. and great, great place to play football. We, we lost one football game in four years and won three national championships. And, you know, played under a, a legendary coach there and a guy named Larry Karras who just retired this year as the all-time winningest college football coach in college football history. So, the, you know, that was a tremendous opportunity for myself and, and to be around somebody like that. Are you still in touch with him uh, as a mentor? I mean, he's got to be proud that one of his own is now a Division One college coach. Yeah, I, I am. And really, I owe everything to his program. And, and you know, he changed my life. And, and so he's a guy that, I, you know, as soon as he retired, I said, hey, you got to get up here for, for our training camp. And he's been up here, you know, for the first four or five practices. And just to be around our kids and myself it's great to have them around and certainly we owe a lot to him it's fantastic to talk about football uh, not only on the field but off the field the integrity the character the gpa all that success coach campbell can't thank you enough for coming on the program wish you the best of luck it's my honor and go rockets get socially technical with the adam ritz show facebook adam ritz show twitter at adam ritz it's social technically it's the adam ritz show and i'm adam ritz we thank you so much for listening and this is a follow-up report to uh, a foundation an initiative that we learned about uh, at penn state university called uplifting athletes and we are uh, super excited to have the executive director and founder of uplifting athletes scott shirley with us hi scott how are you hi adam thanks for having me scott uh, shirley played at penn state university wide receiver when we were uh, those years uh, 99 to 2003 Okay, so uh, you're still in shape. Could you play right now? <laughs> no, nah, these kids get bigger, stronger, <laughs> faster every year. Well, I'll get to uh, some fun on the field moments with you in a minute, but I want to talk about your foundation. You are, uh, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, you're the founding, uh, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, and um, you founded it while you were a player at Penn State about 10 years ago. Tell us about yeah. this. Yeah, when I was on the team, uh, it was fall of 2002, actually the week we were playing Iowa. I was on my way home from practice one day, and I got a phone call from my mom. It's one of those calls, you know, something's not right. And I, I answered the phone, and sure enough, she was so choked up she could hardly speak. So I pulled into a parking lot uh, while she composed herself, and, and she finally told me that my father had been diagnosed with kidney cancer and was only given six months to live. Um, so, you know, at the time it didn't really hit me because my father lived a very healthy life. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke. He was a high school baseball coach with over 400 wins, so he was known as a fighter. And I figured we just needed to go get another opinion. Yeah. And uh, you know, everywhere else we went in the fall, we were told the same thing, that nothing can be done. Second opinion, third opinion. We were going to all the best medical centers in the Mid-Atlantic region. Finally, in the spring of 2003, uh, we went down to see the top oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And I felt like we were going down there to get an answer. And the doctor doesn't even close the door of the waiting room. He just sticks his head in and says, the reality is there's nothing we can do for you. Go home and enjoy the time that you have. Wow. And uh, you are a member of the team. And, um, you know, I'm going to make this quick because it's how uh, it's processing in my head. But uh, you 
at some point come to terms with this and decide you need to do something about this to give back and create awareness or and that's the the really the genesis of, of uplifting athletes yeah exactly I, we walked out of there uh, out of that appointment I felt like we'd really reached the end of the road at that point that's when it really got real for me that um, you know nobody else was doing anything about this so on my way back to Penn State I called the American Cancer Society and they explained to me that different cancers are actually different diseases uh, with different treatment protocols. Um, you know, so since kidney cancer doesn't typically respond to the standard first-line treatments like chemo or radiation, kidney cancer is not one of their priorities. So now we have all these doctors telling us that there's nothing that they can do. And the American Cancer Society is telling us there's nothing that they have chosen to do. Uh, my next call was the Kidney Cancer Association, small group out of Chicago. Um, and they said that's all true, but the bigger challenge is that since it affects fewer than 200,000 Americans, it lacks the financial incentive to make and market new treatments. It's considered a rare disease, and it's been orphaned by the system. And uh, I walked into my apartment that night, and my roommate, teammate, Damone Jones, is sitting on the couch. And, you know, we're 20-year-old college kids at the time. And Damone's playing video games, and he greets me and asks about my day. And I said, you know what? It sucks. 45,000 Americans a year are diagnosed with this disease. They're told they have a 10% chance of living for five years. Nobody's doing anything because they don't, they don't think it's important. <laughs> Damone looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. He said, well, then why don't we do something? We're Penn State football. He said, if I wipe my butt sideways, it's on the front page of the paper. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's take advantage of the position that we're in and, and share this spotlight that we have with a community that, that would really benefit from having it. Well, you know, on, on the emotional level, uh, uh, condolences and, and it's so emotional. I'm so sorry to hear about, about your father and what happened 10 years ago. Uh, to move forward and, um, you know, make a positive out of a negative, you really did that. So initially with uplifting athletes, what was that first uh, initiative on campus with your team at Penn State? What did you do that year? Yeah, so after Damone and I had that conversation, we started talking about it in the locker room. The team rallied around an idea that we had to hold a summer lifting competition that became known as the Lift for Life. Uh, but what happened next was really, really pretty cool uh, because the benefits are greater than we anticipated. We literally had guys lining up at our locker saying, hey, I heard what you're trying to do. How can I help? I want to get involved. You know, And this was different than any other community service we'd done. It was planned by an administrator somewhere, and they pulled the van up and told you to put your jersey on. You know, And it was great in the moment, but this was a complete different service learning experience for us because we were actively engaged. We, we had that sense of ownership. As we sat around the table and planned it, we realized that you know, Dave's a supply chain major, so he's working on the logistics. And, um, you know, our friend Darius is an accounting major, so he's, you know, the treasurer. And Damone's a, a marketing major, so he's doing the promotions. And it started to feel like we were running our own business, um, taking what we were learning in the classroom with the leadership skills from the field and applying it towards something we were passionate about. And three short months later, we had the first Lift for Life event, uh, which was a, really just a fun-to-watch lifting competition that was in our squad uh, in front of hundreds of fans, uh, lots of media, and really proved our ability to inspire patients with hope. So then uh, the next day, you wake up and say, we got to do this again. we got to keep this going. What would you do the next year? How many months went by before the next event? Did it become an annual event at that moment? Yeah, so um, Lift for Life was really the focus of it in the beginning. And that first event raised about $13,000, which wow. is college kids. you know, we, huge. We felt um, was pretty cool. We really didn't have anything to benchmark it against. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that other guys on the team had that same experience that we did. So we registered it as a student organization, transitioned to leadership. You know, I was finishing my master's of engineering at the time, but I was I had played my last season that fall. Um, so we got some other guys involved to run it, and they had it a second year, raised $38,000. So uh, another wow. teammate, Dave Casso and I one night are writing thank you letters to the donors. And um, 
we're talking about the fact that we've raised over $50,000 now in, in only 15 months. And uh, for this organization that's really underfunded, we come to find out that, that was, we were their largest donor at that point as, as a couple of college kids. And uh, we, we figured, you know, we'd never met anybody from this group, um, and it would be fun to go out there sometime. So Dave and I both look at our calendars. The only weekend we're both available is that weekend. And this is Thursday night about 9 o'clock. So if we're going to go, we need to make the decision to go. So we pick up the phone. We call out the Kidney Cancer Association and ask if they'd be in town that weekend. They said, we are. Unfortunately, it's our biggest patient conference of the year. And we'd hate for you to come out here and not get spending time with you because we're only a staff of four. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is, this is our big event. And uh, Dave and I felt like we might as well take the chance because we don't have this opportunity any other time. Both called our parents. They told us that they were okay with it. We went out to the airport to book a flight. Couldn't do that at 10 o'clock at night. I was yeah. <laughs> out of state college. So we ended up renting a car, going home, doing our laundry, leaving about 2 a.m. and driving to Chicago. <laughs> about an hour outside of the city, we get a call from the Kidney Cancer Association to see if we're still coming. We told them where we were. They said, great, our keynote speaker just canceled. Can you guys fill in? Oh, my gosh, that's great. Well, especially so, as, as the biggest donors, right. if you've just raised 50 grand in the last right. 15 months. Right. So you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we pull over to a rest stop, change our clothes, pull up to the Hilton O'Hare. They valley our car and usher us right up on the stage. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, so now we're standing in front of a room full of people that all lived in the same world that my parents lived in, that my dad specifically lived in, where the, he was told, Nothing can be done because nobody cares. Yeah. In walk two college football players, another volunteer, Kerry Konoski, who ironically is now the director of development for the Kidney Cancer Association. Um, she went with us on the trip because she had helped us uh, with that event at Penn State that year. Three of us walk in on stage in front of this room full of people that, that really feel like it's them against the world. And we tell them, you know, this is who we are, this is what we did. We drove halfway across the country last night to share our story with you because um, we care. And just, just that fact alone was enough to really inspire them with hope. We were interrupted three times in 10 minutes by a standing ovation, and that was the life-changing moment for me, was up until then it really seemed like a good thing to do, the right thing to do, but leaving there after we had moved their medical advisory board to tears, I felt like this was an obligation that we had to use this platform that we've been given. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that that part of the story was going to come out. That's uh, I'm inspired now to get involved. Uh, Scott Shirley is our guest, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, a former Penn State football player that started this organization uh, while he was a Penn State player. And uh, so now you move forward and you make this thing a national initiative. You, I'm assuming you, at some point you quit your job. You were an engineering guy and you work in, you're working for corporate America, engineering uh, something, something big time, uh, important future with a big six-figure job. You quit all that to really focus on this national foundation. Tell us about when it went national. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole experience in Chicago really stayed with me. And as, as you mentioned, I graduated with two degrees in engineering from Penn State while playing football and a great institution. And I was working my dream job in D.C. Uh, and I, the, my last project there was $140 million mixed-use development. Um, really great experience for me. And it was, it was everything I'd always worked towards. But this continued to grow at Penn State, and it reached a point where we felt like kidney cancer is only one of 7,000 different rare diseases. And again, that, that sense of obligation, that calling, that we could create the same experience for other college football players around the country and use that coordinated effort to elevate the rare disease cause, but give all of them an opportunity to raise money for a rare disease that's had a direct impact on them. Because statistically, 
There's 7,000 different rare diseases. They all affect fewer than 200,000 Americans, but collectively, it's 30 million Americans. That's the size of the constituency that we serve. So statistically, you're talking about one out of 10. So every football team in America knows somebody with a rare disease, and they have a platform they can use to, to really change the, change the landscape, change the game for those patients. So your program, uh, you work with college football teams across the country. You have sort of a, a program that they take over. Mm -hmm. They have their own student leadership. They get involved, and they can pick the charity, the rare disease that yep. they raise money for, yep. and, there's, uh, and they do it without any coaches or administrators. This is all student-athlete-run. Right. Yep. Yeah, it operates on every campus as a student organization, um, so it's really no different than um, you know, a fraternity or the chess club or you know, whatever other group um, you know, you might be familiar with. It operates really the same way. We provide support to them. We take them through a strategic planning process on an annual basis. We introduce them to their peers on other campuses so they can work together, and they hold different events throughout the year, some, uh, some fundraising events, some awareness events. Um, Penn State this fall, I'm sorry, this spring uh, for Global Rare Disease Day, uh, at the basketball game, they did seven, the students did 7,000 push-ups in honor of the 7,000 different rare diseases. You know, and that was that was broadcast on the Big Ten Network. Well, Penn State was upsetting Michigan that night. Um, you know, and it really starts a conversation about rare diseases. And that's how that that's really the beginning of change. That's the impetus of change is just starting the conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing grows. In fact, I'd love to be a part of it. I'm inspired. I love college football. We work with a lot of foundations. So whatever we can do to help out, uh, if you are a college or even a high school football coach, because I know you're going to start branching out and doing D2, D3 college and high school football teams across the country. If you're a football coach listening to this broadcast and want to learn more, email me. Uh, go to adamritzshow.com and email me, and we'll set up the digital introduction with Scott Shirley and uh, Uplifting Athletes. And your website is upliftingathletes.org. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, Scott Shirley, we can't thank you enough for your service and, and your time on the show to be part of this broadcast. Uh, you were number 80 in yep. college, and your Twitter is at Scott Shirley 80. Correct. Correct. So follow him on Twitter. Go to upliftingathletes.org to learn more. Email me, uh, coaches, if you're listening and you want this to be part of your uh, initiatives and have your student athletes do a student run organization to help raise money for rare diseases and cancer across the country. We can't thank you enough, Scott, for being on the show. Thanks, Adam. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.